Welcome back to what is sure to be a classic episode of Essential Viewing as we discuss Martin Scorsese's 1990 film, Goodfellas. I want to apologize for some, some abrupt cuts you may notice during today's episode. Our recording software dropped a sentence or two here and there as we discussed the film. Next week, we will be returning to our live format when we watch Paul Schrader's newly released film, The Card Counter. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy our discussion of Goodfellas. And we're back for another episode of Essential Viewing. On this episode, we'll be talking about the 1990 film Goodfellas, directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Martin Scorsese, and based on the book Wise Guy by Nicholas Pileggi. I'm Christian Cuevas, hosting this episode, and I'm here with... Colby Ellen And Bryce Kramer. All right. So, uh, Cole, why don't you give us a little synopsis of the film, and uh, then we'll get into the conversation. I'd be happy to. Thank you. Um, sorry. As as Chris mentioned, we're watching Goodfellas today. Uh, one of uh, Martin Scorsese's uh, right, widely regarded as one of his best films and actually reading here, one considered one of the greatest films ever made. And I think yes. we'll, we'll get into discussion on how we feel about that later on in this episode. Um, but Goodfellas uh, focuses uh, tells the story of a, a man, um, Henry Hill, who uh, and tells the, his life and kind of his relationship with the mafia in New Jersey, I believe, um, beginning in 1955 and concluding in 1980. And so this movie kind of, you know, shows Henry as he progresses through his life, his interactions with the, I don't know if it's the, if it, the mafia or the mob is the correct term, I think. I might use them interchangeably. Gangsters. Gangsters. <laughs> yes, yeah, Robert De Niro as, I think, Jimmy? I can't remember his last name. Jimmy, Jimmy yeah, Conway. Jimmy, Jimmy Conway. And, and Joe Pesci as Tommy. I don't, and I, they don't have his last name the, here. The, the Gang Vengers somewhere. The Gang, <laughs> the gang Vengers and Joe yeah. Pesci plays an, a small angry man as usual. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, this is this is Chris's pick for our our essential viewing classic format. And so, um, Chris, why don't you start out and tell us, you know, some of the things that you you like about this movie and why why you chose it as a, an essential viewing. Uh, I mean, pick. this movie um, set in New York, by the way. Yeah. Um, you know, New York and New Jersey is two different worlds. Um, so we, we got to get that straight. We don't want to get those too confused. Um, With some trips down to Tampa, Florida. Yeah, some trips uh, yes. down to down to Florida down to the bayou and but Pittsburgh, um i think yeah and and references pittsburgh, to pittsburgh references to pittsburgh so yeah this movie i mean this is one of those movies that you know if you've talked to be a, to me about movies i've probably at some point hounded you to, to watch this movie because that is true that is true <laughs> because you know this this movie you know i think filmmaking is is not just one discipline but many disciplines working in concert with each other to create like this grand vision. And I think that this movie is a masterclass in pretty much all of those disciplines. I mean, directing, the writing, the acting, the production design, the cinematography, it all comes together to create this, like this epic, you know? And I, I think the thing about a, a Martin Scorsese epic is that, you know, he, he tells these like grand stories but on a very personal level, you know, it's not it's not like, you know, it, it's not this movie isn't so much about like the the chess pieces moving a, a, across the board as like mob bosses sort of scheme and plot against each other. This movie is more about the, the lifestyle and the emotions that come with, you know, being in the mafia and, and being associated with the mafia, you know, being around those people. Um, 
you know, so if, I, I thought this movie just like it's like an adventure. You know, it's a really uh, enthralling story. And, you know, I, I rewatched it last night for this for this episode and, you know, enjoyed it just as much the second time as I did the first time. Uh, Bryce, you want you want to weigh in? I'll save myself for last. Sure, I'll, I'll get going now. Um, first, I want to I want to come clean about something. And that is that I watched this movie on an iPad while I was riding a train. Um, oh no! Cardinal <laughs> sin. I am, I am, I am more or less homeless right now due to a flooded apartment. So I was like, this is going to be my best opportunity to watch it. So, oh man, the, the train was very smooth. Audio quality in my AirPods is fine. So and like, Bryce, Bryce has got a big iPad. He's got a nice iPad Air actually. So it's still, it's still a pretty nice size. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, it's really close to my face. Like, it's, it's practically like I was in the theater. You know, getting that 4D experience with kind of like the sway of the train. Right. Um, <laughs> sway of the train as they're driving dead bodies around in the, the back seats of their cars. Um, I would say that I'm not sure if that viewing experience hurt, helped or hurt the movie, but I don't think I was a massive fan of this one. Oh, um, no. It kind of... <laughs> I think all of the like the things Chris kind of mentioned, like the writing, the acting, the production design, all of that is definitely like on point and really good. But I just think from like a narrative standpoint, I don't think it really ever clicked that well for me. Um, <laughs> it kind of felt like I was, it felt like I was kind of like playing um, GTA Five. Well, GTA Five is, like, is that, a really, that's a bad thing. It's a really good game. Like, Wait, what? It's, it's the same. Let me let me explain. So like. It's 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 the same thing. It's a very fun game, but like it's just a bunch of like little vignettes of like little like crimes oh, and like man. experiences <laughs> and stuff. And like I never felt like the the story in GTA Five really all like tied and came together super well. Mm-hmm. And I kind of felt the same thing in this one. Like it's like oh here's a scene when when he's a kid. Here's a scene, um, you know, from his marriage. And it just kind of I don't know. It just felt like <laughs> there was. It never all really tied together for me. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll leave it there for now. And I'll, okay. I'll let Cole go. Oh, no. Oh. Chris's <laughs> world is crumbling around him. I think I think I share a lot of the same feelings that Bryce did. Oh. <laughs> and and, and I'll, I'll, I'll expound upon Bryce's comparison to GTA 5. It, it, it doesn't stop. Just you know the narrative structure. You have you have three characters coming yeah. together. Uh, you have you have the the family man. You have the angry guy, <laughs> and you have I can't I can't think who best compares to Franklin in, in, in this cast. I think I agree with Bryce and I agree with you, Chris. That like this movie is is put together well. The 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 acting is pretty spot on. For the most part, that I've I have some complaints mainly around Ray Liotta's laugh, which is like agonizing to listen to. <laughs> um, and and um, but but ultimately, like I felt like what Bryce said, there are a lot of kind of vignettes around you know what what it was like being in oh. the mafia. It very much felt like I, I don't know if you guys, if this movie felt like I would turn on FX in the middle of like a Tuesday afternoon, and there would oh. be like some kind of like whitewashed. Uh, not whitewashed, like censored version of it where they cut out all the, the violence and curses. <laughs> oh, and, yeah, and my dad man. would turn it on and be like, oh, this is the scene where Joe Pesci kills that kid. And like, oh, you can just kind of turn it on whenever and be like, oh yeah, I remember this part. And you watch it and you're like, oh, that was pretty fun. And then you shut it off. 
Um, okay, all right, all right. Okay, both one, both one, one more you... thing real quick. One quick. One thing quick. Did either of you guys watch The Irishman? No, I, I hated The Irishman. <laughs> yeah, I watched The Irishman like when it came out of Netflix, and I was like bored out of my mind. And like when oh. I was watching this movie, I kind of felt like I was just watching both more of, of you... The Irishman. <laughs> both of you need to go and get your shine box. All right. <laughs> Go and get your oh, shoeboxes. Guys... That's my dad's favorite line from the movie, Chris. <laughs> I feel like the way I feel right now is the scene in the movie when, when Joe Pesci, is he thinks he's going to get made. And they bring him into the room and the room's empty. And he's like, oh, and then they shoot him in the head. <laughs> that's, that's how I feel right now. Because I, I, I really was like. This is this is the best part of it. This is true this is essential classic viewing. essential viewing. This is not this is not what I had in mind at all. Now I, I had all these I had all these notes of of all of you know I of all the ways I was gonna gush about the movie. I didn't think I was gonna have to defend it. No, and so, and that's the thing. I, I don't want us to sit here and feel and feel like although the the flaming is incredibly fun. Don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> I like I ultimately I didn't hate this movie. I didn't think it was a, a bad movie. I just yeah, did not, I didn't I didn't either. I, I just didn't think it was like the greatest thing ever made. Yeah, I, guys, I, this movie <laughs> is the greatest thing ever made <laughs> in 1990. OK, uh -huh. so you, you guys can't you, you can't sit here and say it's derivative of all these things that are literally inspired by it. Like hmm. when you think they didn't watch this when they made GTA five, you know, like. And, like the Irishman is was was Scorsese like re I mean I haven't seen the movie but it, but from what I've read it's him re-examining sort of this this same story almost but from a different perspective the perspective of like age and time having passed and looking at it from a distance you know mm -hmm. so like this movie is like so central to like so many things that have come after it mm -hmm. so like I just feel like this is the source right here. Mm -hmm. Like this is the source material. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of interesting you say that because I had like a similar reaction to um, when I watched uh, The Exorcist for the first time. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like this classic horror movie that everybody's like, "Oh, it's so scary, it's so good." But but like when I, the time I had watched The Exorcist, I had seen so many other horror movies that like The Exorcist didn't have that same kind of punch for but me. But this movie as, does as it, it better still than than. Then I mean I don't know what what movies you you can reference that have come after this movie, this this movie does it better, like mm -hmm. this yeah this I mean movie, yeah for sure I like this way more than I like The Irishman, <laughs> yeah no, yeah I, or I, even like you know people will talk to you about The Wolf of Wall Street for example mm -hmm. right which is essentially this movie right yeah but like the Wall Street version but this movie like that movie is good but this this movie like doesn't have the same magic as as this movie does in my opinion which is apparently mm -hmm. only my opinion yeah. still my opinion <laughs> that like you know this movie and i i think the complaint you guys are saying about the vignettes and stuff and the movie you know i was watching an interview with scorsese and the movie is he said himself the main character of this film is not you know any of these guys the the, the it's about the lifestyle you know and it's mm -hmm. it's taken from like his memories personally of like being in New York and, you know, being a witness to these these wise guys who were kind of, you know, running the town, living this grand lifestyle. And I and, you know, it's like taking all those memories and like taking the feeling of it. Right. And it's like, how do I distill the feeling 
mm-hmm. of you know riding this wave of being this you know being in the glory of the mafia at that time right you know in the in the 70s right how do i distill that feeling it's examining our attraction at least and i think you know maybe this was something that was stronger at the time than it is now but if mm-hmm. you think historically there's always been an attraction to you know gangsters and bad guys you know yeah. I, mean, I think i think now because things have gotten so violent in society it's not yeah. the same you know but i think at the time when you had like organized crime you had you had crime didn't wasn't necessarily always so tightly tied with violence at the time so the movie is is examining our attraction as a society to the violence and to to that lifestyle right and it's painting a picture of this lifestyle like yes it is a glorious there are things about this lifestyle that are glorious right Mm -hmm. but in the end it is a destructive lifestyle right yeah and it's showing us it's showing us the highs of that lifestyle, you know, and then it's also, but it's showing us the lows. It's showing us how that is a path that leads to destruction, right? Mm-hmm. It's not about, this is not some, you know, movie where like some kid loses his dog because he was a bad <laughs> kid. And then at the end, the dog comes back, Thomas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The point is not <laughs> that he redeems himself. That is the worst take I have like literally that's such a bad take. Thomas no. should delete his YouTube channel. I, okay, but... I, I I don't want to start defending this guy. I when I've seen you know mentioned this take he had and and have seen a couple of his videos online. I don't think it was necessarily redemption. It was just that they're kind of painted this picture. His take was Scorsese show like making the final court scene appear as like a confessional if you're going right. to a Catholic church. But... Um, and. and which again, I, I agree with your points as as well, Chris. And I think what you mentioned that, um, you know, maybe crime at uh, people have gone. I think there's a way that people have gotten desensitized, right? Yeah. But I feel like the zeitgeist or the general like monoculture, if you can still call it that today, and being, you know, all three of us are, are younger people, we're young millennials or elder zoomers, like <laughs> have been being exposed to this for for so long and i've personally maybe felt a little desensitized to yeah so for me this did not have as much of a lasting impact as maybe someone else that saw it in the theaters or I, it sounds like for you chris you've been able to kind of like shift your your mindset to kind of absorb this movie considering well, the time it came out well yeah and there's nothing about the movie that's saying like oh in the end like he was redeemed he didn't do a single good thing in the movie okay mm-hmm. He yeah. didn't do anything good, and he was yeah. not redeemed. He mm-hmm. ended up in witness protection program. You know, he said himself he tried to get a spaghetti and meatballs, and he got uh, egg noodles and ketchup. Right? Mm-hmm. Like he's living in hell at the end of the movie. Like he didn't get redeemed. <laughs> yeah, because okay? I think what Chris was saying, like kind of like this this attraction to the life of crime. Like you see that in the very last scene of the movie. Like he's in like his suburb home, like getting a newspaper. But I think the voiceover is just like. He's like, this sucks. He wants yeah. to be back with, yeah, with the and, gangsters. You know, making big cash. He hates. He hates his life now. So kind of that that attraction to crime is definitely more so where the the movie's yes, going. That's than what the Thomas movie is about. Was, was and and about. Scorsese himself said, you know, I was I was watch, I've been watching I've watched a number of interviews about this movie because I like this movie. Okay, uh-huh. and so I, I, watch, <laughs> I watch a number of interviews about it. Scorsese himself said, you know, you realize through the you know at a point through the movie. Like when in the scene when they're playing poker and Joe Pesci's character shoots Spider first mm-hmm. in the foot 
And then later he shoots him to kill when he when Spider finally talks back to him. You realize Scorsese said you realize at that moment like these this these guys are crazy. Like you don't want to have anything to do with these guys. These mm -hmm. guys are insane. They're off the rails, right? And I think you look at the movie, right? You look at what happens to the characters, okay? They're pretty successful as mafia guys, right? Like for the most part, like things go better than they could have, right? Well, well what's his face didn't um didn't ditch the truck in that one heist. Right. And then <laughs> like I, then, they, then they like take then they they hit off like the entire gang. So But what yeah. I'm saying that is one that, went like, pretty poorly. Well, right. But what I'm saying is that for the first, you know, for the the first, the first like, like, two-thirds like, of the movie, half, things yeah. go pretty well, okay? Mm -hmm. Like chances are in real life if you do these things you get they would all have ended up dead, right? Yeah. But my here's the thing though. Look at what happens to the characters, right? They all rich at the end, right? But but they all end up you know, except for until the cocaine third act, right? But they all end up scared and paranoid and sleeping with guns under their pillows and and just like, you know, their mental state is ruined, right? Mm -hmm. There's the great scene in the after they pull off the big the Lufthansa heist, right? And they're mm -hmm. all celebrating at the bar, right? But they can't actually celebrate, you know? Yeah. The whole scene is De Niro's character getting angry at these these stooges coming in the door with all the stuff that they bought with the with the the, the score from the heist right yeah. so it's like all they're, they're doing all these things and they're making all this money but they can't enjoy it because it was wrong right they never once get to really truly enjoy the fruits of their labor because their labors were 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 sinful you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That's the whole idea of the movie right that the like like you said the glory of this lifestyle it does come with a cost, mm -hmm. right? And there's no redemption. There's no there's no arc of redemption in the story. There's no confession. He's ratting on the guys. Look, ratting is not a is not like a. It's not presented as like a morally good choice. It's yeah, that's, that's like the worst no, no. thing like a gangster can do. Yeah, yeah. And the no. movie doesn't try and say like, oh, he's good. He's a good boy now. He told on the other guy. Like the movie presents him as a dirty rat for ratting. Like he's the biggest coward of them all, right? Mm -hmm. Because he's the one who you know, gives them all up. Right. Yeah. And I, again, I agree with, <laughs> with everything you've said in that, <laughs> that, that, that statement. Um, I think I maybe either misspoke or mi like misrepresented this guy's take on redemption in terms of like <laughs> his character was not, they, no one said, Oh, he's good. Now it was like the justice system, ba like forgave him. And I'm using strong air quotes there because he doesn't serve a, a prison sentence that's his what that's his way of being forgiven in this case i know um, but the movie is not about the justice system the movie is not about that and and that's yeah and i think that's fine i think um, i guess i guess my thing is just like i agree with everything what chris is saying about like this is what the movie is about mm -hmm. but it's just like i feel like none of that is like very challenging or like making me question anything or like think super like it's kind of like all those sort of things like i agree with like yes like this lifestyle is going to ruin you and like i'm not like learning anything or like being questioned by like watching this movie you but you're, are you not being taken on a journey i mean are you not having fun <laughs> when they're having fun but then later you're 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 scared and you're nervous when they're scared and they're nervous i mean look yeah that, not that was every kind movie of has that to was be kind so of didactic my... That's Remember kind of why I brought that comparison to GTA Five up. It's like, yes, like I'm having fun, like scene to scene to scene, like heist to heist to heist. But like when all is said and done, like I never felt like a 
a bow got wrapped and like mm-hmm. thematically some great realization like jumped out at me. But, you know, we, we talked last week. We, we got on here and we're talking about Candyman and we're bashing it for being so didactic. And now we're getting in this movie. And we're saying, I didn't teach me a nice moral of the story like that. That's not it's a real story. But there wasn't the, the moral is not like it's not trying to give you some, you know, help, you know, be good to, to your neighbors type of lesson. It's 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 telling an, an actual story. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be watching yeah. the journey that these characters go on, you know? Like, I think that there's this trend in movie analysis to, to just, like, overly moralize everything and try and distill it down to some some moral. Le- like, filmmakers are not, like, they're not, like, uh, Mormons or, or something. Like, they're, they're, <laughs> the point is not to, like, go and spread some good word. Like, the point is to tell stories, right? Mm-hmm. The point is to... Is to is to take you places where you have not been before or that you couldn't go otherwise. And this movie does that. It does do that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I think that like yeah. trying to moralize it in this way, kind of like it, it can't be successful if we're looking at it from that perspective. It can't because that's not what it, what it set out to do. Like I, I think Bryce and I are coming at it from a point that we both appreciate and like, you know enjoyed watching it but when i like for me at least i think and not not to boil this down to to ratings um but like for me when i say like i enjoy a film or i would um you know like recommend a film to someone else the whole point of this podcast is to talk about films we think are essential (laughs) viewing like i would i would tell someone you know like yeah like it's a it's a fine movie watch it don't watch it like i it's Oh it's my kind Lord. of Lord <laughs> <laughs> going into shine box call. <laughs> Just I like I I it, again. It, it's one of those things. Like, I could go either way on it. Like I'm not gonna. I would not tell someone you have to go. Sit, like you this have to go see this. Movie is essential. <laughs> this movie is essential viewing. Mm-hmm. If you wanna like like so much of what we watch is is trying to capture what this movie did Mm -hmm. in 1990 i mean this movie look think about okay i I thought i was gonna you know we're gonna take the whole time and i'd be able to reminisce about some of my favorite moments in the movie no please i want to get to that point because i had some favorite moments now i'm gonna have to use them as 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 arguing points for why the movie was good but like (laughs) think about that the the amazing the the copacabana one take shot where they're coming into the club through the back door right Mm -hmm. that shot like that shot tells more of a story than most of the dribble that you'll you'll spend five seasons watching on Netflix does these days. I mean, oh th- yeah, that shot. He's coming in the back door of the club, right? I mean, that's that's how he got into, that's how he got into wealth is through the back door through crime, right? He's his his girlfriend at the time is being introduced to this this new life, this life of the mafia, and we're we're coming on this this sweeping sort of journey with them as they're coming in the back of the club, and they get to the they get through the back hallways, through the kitchen, and they come out to the club and they're, they're royalty when they come into the, into the club and a table appears, you know, and is placed right there in the, in the, the prime seats for them to sit at. Right. And it's like, you know, just, just with that shot, you kind of see like the glory 
of this lifestyle, right? But you also kind of see the dishonesty of it, right? The, the table, it's unfair to the rest of the patrons. This table is placed there for them. Yeah, right? he they, skipped they, everybody cheating. in line. He skipped everybody in line. I hate when line. people skip the line. But I'm saying it's, <laughs> it's so symbolic of the whole thing. He, these guys, they cheat to get ahead, right? Mm-hmm. And it feels good in the moment. But then later on, they have to face the consequences of it. You know what I mean? Just that shot tells so much of that story. Like, you can't find you can't find a movie now that 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 so like perfectly unifies the visual aspect with the emotional content of the story the way this movie does. I mean, I'll get into talking about the editing later because I think the editing of this movie is so important. But I just feel like you know this movie does so many things that I think what's happening is we've come to take some of these things for granted mm-hmm. that this movie does. But like literally, this movie like invented them. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. A- again, and I think I I agree with everything you said there, Chris. I I'll I'll be upfront and say that 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 shot when they they the, the one take where they follow him into the Copacabana, the I guess it happens earlier on in the movie, and so yeah. it you, it's something you kind of have to go back and reflect on. And that was not something that I had done. Um, I think your interpretation of that is like is pretty compelling, and I think that's very interesting. You're right. Maybe we. I do take things like this for granted. I will fully admit that, and I think that part of it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Just like having concepts or or similar uh, techniques like this being adopted by other people or, or trying to be used poorly or otherwise um, by by other filmmakers, and then that's kind of being lost on me. Um, and and maybe that was the case for this. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't. I, I. I mean, I remember that scene that you're describing it, but like when I was watching it, like I did not realize it was one take or like well, it didn't dawn know, on the, me. The iPad effect will do. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one's on me. I, I admit, I, I, I missed that. I, I, I did like that scene a lot, though. I'm glad you, you brought it up and reminded us that it was. I mean, I have, I have, I have many more things to bring up, but I don't want to sit here and and talk about my whole notebook of 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 amazing moments from this movie uh, mm-hmm. you guys said you had some moments you wanted to discuss so maybe we can go to one of you and then we'll come back to something that i have um i mean i think that the so i mentioned maury's wigs let's not for let's not, let's not forget maury and his and his wig shop um and i was i thought that that was an interesting moment to to introduce this character who like <laughs> who I initially thought was just going to be a one-off. It was going to be a guy they were squeezing and trying to get money out of, but he comes back later in the movie as this kind of annoying person that, that is keep, that keeps asking for his share of the Lufansa yeah. and the way that they, they characterize him and say, okay, like they show the commercial first TV and then they're squeezing him in the back room and his wig like falls off in that scene, which I thought was a nice attention to detail. And you can kind of see he's like, he's kind of a, a goober, but, and he doesn't, he's not really aware of the people he's dealing with maybe. Because right? in his ads, it always said, our, our wigs never fall off. <laughs> yes. And, and so I, that that is a good character introduction, and I enjoyed that. And I was able to I picked up on that um, from my you know first and only view of this of this. Um, so I enjoyed that uh, part of the film. I guess Bryce, I'll pass it to you. Yeah, I think the one thing that's popping out at me right now is just kind of like the whole the whole ending and like the the final cocaine deal that that goes wrong is a very a very great sequence and kind of how they they narrate it, how they. They, um, 
they fold in. I think Chris mentioned he, he hit a lot of he wanted to say about the editing, but the editing in that throughout that section was really was really good. Um, kind of felt almost kind of like uncut gemsy in a sense that like you'd know everything <laughs> is about to go wrong and it's kind of like this high wire um anxiety you have uncut of, gems without good fellas yeah yeah it kind of like anxiety not. inducing um cocaine deal where, where, you, where you can just see all the pieces are moving the wrong way everything's about to go wrong um mm-hmm. i like that like kind of recurring motif of the the helicopter following him and him just constantly being like this, this helicopter's on and you can just kind of see him slowly lose his mind more and more during that whole sequence um i so i really like that part of the movie yeah that that sequence no uh, i think that sequence is really where the editing stands out because if yeah. you look and and the cinematography as well i like to talk about this how those dimensions of this film kind of work because if you if you look at how the the film progresses right you have throughout the first two acts of the film you know you have these lush kind of sweeping smooth shots you know, lots of steady cam work, like the the, the Copacabana shot that we, we just talked about. You know, mm-hmm. these these very very lush cinematography, very sort of um, decadent cinematography, and 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 a, and a, a slower kind of editing, right? That matches the the lifestyle that they're living, right? But then you get into that third act, and suddenly, you know, and and it, it actually is a it's not just a thing that suddenly happens you you start to notice it in that third act but it's actually a gradual development throughout the film the editing over the as the film progresses it gets pacier it gets choppier right yeah. it gets faster because the characters are getting anxious right they've been having fun but the the chickens are coming home to roost on them the consequences of all their deeds are starting to stack up so the characters are getting anxious as the film progresses and the editing mm-hmm. gets more anxious as the film progresses and the cinematography does the same thing and by the time you get to that third act we have jump cuts and whip pans and you know really just frenetic sort of editing as he's you know driving all around town he's trying to do this drug deal he's trying to prepare a nice dinner for his brother you know he's gonna he's trying to pick up his brother from the hospital. Um, yeah, his, all brother's, his brother's got to keep stirring that sauce. Don't yeah. forget about the sauce. I love that. I mean that that sequence on its own that was like, you think about like the movie Good Time, right? Like that that sequence, that last act of Goodfellas, it reminded me a lot of that movie. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I feel like that because in that in that movie you have Robert Pattinson's character trying to you know scurrying all over town to try and get his save his brother, right? Very similar sort of sequence, but again the editing is so important and the cinematography is so important there in like setting the the mood of all that you know and um similarly i think uh an area where this film is so strong is 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 musically i think you know martin scorsese he's like a dj almost (laughs) in the way that he like juxtaposes um music with what's happening on the screen there's a great sequence when um de niro starts killing people left and right because he's nervous about if someone's going to, you know, spill the beans about the heist. And there's a great sequence yeah. where they're showing all the bodies. Um, and there's the song uh, Layla by it's by Derek and the Dominoes plays. Um, you guys can cue that up to you'll remember the moment. But like it's mm-hmm. all these slow shots of like there's there's the two dead people in the pink car. And then there's the uh, the guy that's hanging dead in the meat truck. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, juxtaposing this kind of and similarly, the same thing happens in the the my favorite scene in the whole movie, which is the scene where they kill uh, Billy Bats in the in the bar, um, mm-hmm. the shine box scene, you yes. know, and <laughs> while they're while they're all kicking him and Martin Scorsese's like, or, not, or De Niro is like doing the river dance on his head. 
basically. And that it's still like that whimsical music playing. Everything comes together to create these moments that at least for me were very memorable moments that made me love this film. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I thought this film would, I thought this movie would sell itself to be honest. I didn't think I would have to, to explain or I didn't think I would have to have to justify it, but mm. you know, it's interesting that you guys are um, seeing it the way that you do. I mean, I have more to say about what was great in this movie. I can just keep going. It seems but like I, me and Cole's opinions is really, really a consequence of us like watching this, like, today and now versus yeah. like 20 hey, years ago i mean i'm and the same having, and having seen like all these other hey i'm the same age as you guys i've seen all this other one. stuff too <laughs> yeah and i think that's something i i don't know this is something i've thought about what makes this us the talking about movies kind of unique and different and i feel like we are de definitely are we're people in this space and we're, we're younger we're on, we're on the younger side and so we have interest we have different opinions and different mindsets coming into movies like this kind of classics or what are considered classic films. And so um, I think that in that case, that is definitely showing for me and Bryce. And it's interesting how, um, not to say that our opinion is correct or right. Um, not, I don't think they're- Well, it, it's not, so. Okay. <laughs> um, but but it, I just think it's that. interesting how, that, how it's affected us versus you, Chris. Like you said, we're, we're the same age. Like, um, like I don't know. But, I mean, my dad also, you know, plays the, the, what were you saying when the movies come on, on FX, on FX, like, you know, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh -huh. and, and, and again, this movie would never, I don't they, they think they could possibly sanitize this movie enough to play it on FX. I think, I, I don't know, I was, while, while we were talking here, I thought about, um, and I, I don't want to touch on this too much because I feel like we could spin, spin out and talk about it for another hour, but like how the film Scarface, which I have seen, I can say that, um, is has been like there's this meme about how it's been kind of misappropriated by like dude bros as this cool movie where um where you know Scarface himself like gets to be the the ultimate badass and like kill people and get everything he wants where that movie is like really horrifying and there's some yeah. really atrocious stuff that happens in it and to me I don't think that I think Scarface is a little is more extreme in what is depicted and kind of the the level of violence. Not to say yeah. that there isn't violence in Goodfellas, but it, it, to me, this movie gave a certain like similar flavor of like could potentially be like misappropriated as oh these are cool guys. I want to be like Joe Pesci. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Um, which you, you know it's it brings up an interesting point. Just kind of this like meta point about. Uh, I feel like I use that word a lot now, meta point. It's good. But, it's a good word. But it, this brings up a meta point about like what's at this time in the world, we've gotten so used to not just violence, right? Because violence is, is become such, it's not a thing in the movies anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're all so desensitized to violence. Yeah, it's every night in the real on the world, right? Yeah. And like graphic violence. So it's like, and another thing that we're also desensitized to is like this, this idea of like the good life and like, Everyone now is on social media, like trying to flex like these guys, right? Yeah. Like they're all like, so you're constantly looking at images of violence and also images of people like pretending like they're living like the Goodfellas, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I feel like what's happened is that with being inundated with these images for, for, for such, for so long now and constantly, you know, through our phones and, and through the, the, uh, the, 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 the kind of general video drome effect that we're we're getting just from like being exposed to media today, I feel like 
I, perhaps, you know, I mean, not for me, but I, I think I can understand how this movie may not, it might just land with a thud because it's like mm-hmm. the violence doesn't seem that violent anymore. Like yeah. the, the, the glamour doesn't seem that glamorous anymore. Like it, I think that like, and I think that just says something interesting about like, you know, what, what the media has done to our collective minds, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, it's like it's like if you look at the glamour in Goodfellas, then you like you look at the glamour in like the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, or <laughs> you yeah. just look Street, at Instagram. You know, dials it up to eleven with all yeah. the yeah. the yachts and the the jumping in pools of money. I don't I don't remember that that happened, but you know, in this movie, it's <laughs> yeah. like you know they they get a front table at the club. You know, they have a nice car. Um, yeah. I, I see what you're yeah. saying. Where, where it definitely is dialed back, which is kind of what we're seeing in in today's films and on today's Instagram posts. Yeah. I, I agree with all your points, Chris, and I think that I want to say that it kind of, to me, it feels like you're touching upon what I was saying, a little bit what I was saying earlier about like the the presence of of this movie and maybe it's it's kind of the things that it innovated on being present in the again the monoculture um, and again losing losing some of that edge that it, that it had initially. Because it's um, funny because now this movie seems, you know, you said it seems like something that would just be playing on the TV in the background. You know, when this movie came out, you know, mm-hmm. people were people were like they were I was watching the behind the scenes documentary. They're talking about like the early screenings they did. People were storming out of the theater mad. They were trying to get no. Scorsese to cut out the drugs from the movie, cut out. the, yeah. drugs from the movie. They were saying it was too much like this movie is going to it's going to like, you know, scare people off. Mm-hmm. Right. And like. I guess now it's just like uh, who, who I saw something more violent on TikTok. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, so, and it, it's a shame. I think. I mean, I, I personally, I wish I had walked out of this movie and had been like more affected and more. I wish I had felt like you do about it. I'll say that. Like, I, I, I like leaving movies and being feeling like, oh wow, this really like either affected me or in a way that I enjoyed, or even if it, it, it elicits in a response that's not like enjoyment and but i guess one thing i wanted to, to bring up that i don't think we talked about yet mm-hmm. um more of a question for chris and maybe cool but like so this is all like these are all real people this is yeah. like true events yeah mm-hmm. i mean henry hill is a real guy um he he actually uh he he spoke to like robert de niro called him constantly while they were filming to get oh wow to get yeah. like insights about like he would ask him questions like how would jimmy conway like smoke a cigarette or how would jimmy conway walk into a room or, so these are all mm-hmm. real guys it's based on real story I and mean, obviously they have to probably like switch shuffle some names around i think even yeah. like johnny roast beef is, is a real guy <laughs> like yeah like i so yeah, okay just, you reminded me of one of my favorite scenes when like they're introducing like all the people yeah in, in the family goofy, goofy nicknames. and they all have like these goofy nicknames and, and it they goes all, on like, for like five not five minutes but like, it goes on for a long time and there's a lot of great names in that and scene. it kind of breaks the fourth wall a little bit because they all sort of yeah. look at the camera and they, they it's like you're walking in yeah to the, to the to the place and you know all these guys and it's like oh that's mm-hmm. jimmy two times he said everything two times <laughs> he's like, i'm gonna go get the papers get the papers yeah yeah and and i think there are, there are moments like that that i did enjoy and i'm hoping maybe now we can talk about little, little bits of, and and details that we did as we kind of maybe get close get started on wrapping up um i i don't know chris you want you want to kick it off i have i have a, like a, one or two things well, I mean, I think there's the there's the uh, the you're funny scene where he's kind of like mm-hmm. how I'm funny. How what what is it that's funny about me? I think that scene is like, you know, it's it's a scene where you 
you've seen that uh, Joe Pesci's character is kind of crazy. So you think yeah. like maybe he's going to whip out his gun and, and he just finished like, uh, you know, being real rude to the staff of this restaurant mm-hmm. and stuff. So, and I think that that scene, one interesting detail about that scene is that you'll notice that there's no close up in, in that scene. Traditionally, you might think like they'd cut in because it's these two guys having a showdown. You'd cut into close ups of both of them, of Pesci's mm-hmm. character and Ray Liotta's character, but they don't, they don't go into the close up. And the reason that, uh, Scorsese explained for why they don't go into the close-up is so that you can see the reactions of all the other people sitting around them because they got all their fellows gathered around and you can see their faces kind of transition from they're all smiling because they're having a good time to now they're all sort of dreading what's about to happen because they think that Joe Pesci's about to whip out his gun as he's known to yeah. do and, and start popping off, right? So like mm-hmm. I think you know that scene is another like excellently directed scene. One other moment that I love um, is after they kill or after they um after the, after they kill uh Billy Bats and they go to uh uh Joe Pesci's character's mother's house. Yes. <laughs> and that that the, the person playing his mother is actually that's actually Scorsese's mother. Okay, I was going to um, say she looked like Scorsese in a wig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's Scorsese. And I love when she pulls out the painting and it's like uh, and Joe Pesci's like, "Oh, I like this. This one dog's going this way and the other dog's going the other way." <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> That was, that was pretty great. One part I really liked is when, um, so like in the beginning of the movie, kind of like, um, was it Joe Pesci's character that makes like Henry Hill come out with him to like double date? Yeah. And he doesn't really want to be there. And like, he kind of doesn't pay any attention to the woman. Um, what's her name? Uh, 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 Karen. Karen. <laughs> Karen. That's going to be his future, his future wife. Yeah. And like, then like she, he's supposed to go with them for another date and he stands, stands her up. Um, and then, like, she comes and, like, gives him a real piece of her mind for, like, right. ditching him. And, like, after that moment is kind of when he starts to, like, fall for him and, like, be interested in her. Right. But she had to, I don't know, the, balls. the strength of the you know, balls to come I and, like, tell, of... tell him what he what she thinks. Right. I, really, I really enjoyed that moment. I thought yeah. about you when I was watching that moment because I felt like that moment kind of had the feel of, like, uh, a musical almost. Yeah. Because, like, they're yeah. fighting, but then, like, he's smiling and then she starts smiling because they realize, oh, like, we actually have a good chemistry. Even yeah. though I, I really other. liked I really liked the beginning of their their relationship and kind of how they yeah. fell for each other a lot. But then, you know, the relationship turns horrible as, as the movie goes along. And you know, he starts picking up yeah. cheating on her. And then, you know, she gets and, wrapped into all the mob business and everything. But and I really she eventually enjoyed... becomes like almost a mobster herself or, yeah. or part of the mafia herself because she's I like helping that... him. I think that adds to kind of the whole theme that Chris is talking about. We're like, oh, yeah, it's all glamorous at, at the beginning, but then it mm-hmm. all kind of falls yeah. apart at well, the end. Yeah. One, one detail from the story I enjoyed is like, you know, starting out, it's, it begins in 1955. I really thought that the the cast, whoever directed casting for this movie, like the kids that play young Ray Liotta and especially young Joe Pesci, like look a lot like them, like yeah. remarkably so. I was pretty yeah. impressed with that. Uh, it was very easy for me to some movies like you know you do these time it's jumps and you're like who, who the hell am i looking at mm-hmm. um but it was very clear to me who that what that was there but um you know starting out you know they're they go to the airport and they're like stealing cigarettes out of a truck or something like they're yeah. doing like things they're like you know and then the cops show up and like what are you doing kid like stop selling those cigarettes like and then by the end of the movie he's selling flying cocaine in from pittsburgh <laughs> Well, that is the story of organized crime for real, though, because, you know, they were just doing like little the mafia. You know, it sounds like, you know, 
like you know obviously it's not like they're doing hits and all this stuff but like mm. it started out with they, it was just organized crime like they were just doing like little racketeering like oh they'd break somebody's windows and then you know you, you'd go the next day and say I'll, I'll if you pay me i'll keep anybody from breaking your windows right mm-hmm. like stealing cigarettes they were doing stuff like that that's really what the mafia would do they weren't doing like bank heists and stuff i mean they would yeah. do some of that but they, they were doing small-scale crime Mm-hmm. And then until the eighties came along, and then the drugs came in. That that is what actually kind of that is actually how that evolved, right? Okay, that's interesting. Um, so like, I guess like, you know, it's another thing where it's like we're so used to now, like all the crime is just like mega crime. <laughs> yeah, like you, you watch like Narcos on Netflix or something like that. Yeah, it's all just turned up to eleven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but if you read about the history of the mafia, that is actually how it evolved. One thing I want to go back and mention is that um, that that interaction where the um the how what makes me funny that whole thing um that scene that's something that actually happened to joe pesci and he he told that to scorsese that story to scorsese and he's like i I want that to be in the movie and scorsese liked it so they actually like they improvised the scene in rehearsal and then they they transcribed the the rehearsal to the script Uh and then scorsese edited the script and then they filmed the scene again but it's based on a real thing that happened to joe pesci when he was a a teenager oh i assume he was he was ray liotta in that in that scenario yeah but but that's this is kind of low-hanging fruit but i did enjoy the part of the movie where he says we always called each other good fellas it's like (laughs) oh the meme he said the title of the movie the the other once upon a time in hollywood meme yeah Yeah. the other line was i think there was one where it was like Friday nights are for the wives. Saturday nights are for the girlfriends. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so that I, I just enjoyed that. Like, it doesn't, I don't know. It's kind of, I don't think it's particularly like good, but I did think it, I thought it was funny. Although they were going to call like, it wise term. guys, but apparently um, Brian De Palma did a movie around the same time that, that had that title. So they had oh, to change uh, it. I mean, oh. they, they call each other wise guys a lot throughout yeah. the movie. That's so true. That and that, I think that is like a specific term. Um, yeah. in that context um one well, go ahead chris sorry no i was just gonna say one other element of the movie that i i think it's important to touch on um is like the the effectiveness or at least i thought it was effective of um voiceover in this movie mm-hmm. and how the voiceover is used so you know, i think you think about voiceover like a lot of times when you watch stuff like it, it feels it feels like voiceover is just trying to make sure that the audience gets it right like it's just or it's filling in gaps right the voiceover is not trying to tell you anything about the story the voiceover is like is i'll I'll put it this way it's interpretation instead of explanation you know the voiceover is like is adding this this color and this richness to what you're seeing you know they they talk about how they're slicing the garlic with the razor blade to get it so thin that it just melts yeah you put it in the pan stuff like that it's like it's like giving you you know it's almost like it's more of like a director's commentary than it is like a explanation of the plot. And I just thought that like the voiceover did so much to like, and it's kind of a cynical voiceover and it's sort of like a, it's a subjective mm-hmm. voiceover. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's giving you, getting you inside the character's emotional states more yeah. than what you see from voiceover. And I think that like, I think maybe you see a lot of this now, like if you watch like uh, euphoria on HBO, like you see a lot of this thing with like this kind of cheeky, like interpretive voiceover and like they're directly going back to like scorsese's work you know when they're doing mm-hmm. something like this yeah. and it's, yeah. it's so i think you know it's another inno- it was an innovation at the time yeah. To, yeah, to have I'll, this I'll kind s- of voiceover i'll say i agree with you on that for like the vast majority of the movie like i think i mentioned how much i like the voiceover during like the the cocaine scene at the end and the other 
parts you've mentioned I liked a lot as well. But I I did feel like I didn't like it as much in like the first like 20 or 30 minutes or so of the movie. It kind of felt like the first, I think I like literally looked at how long it had passed when like the movie was getting started. And it felt like for like the first 20 minutes, it was like just narration or like yeah, almost all narration. And I was kind of like, okay, when are characters going to start talking to each other? Yeah. Well, it's a long movie. I, yeah. I think that's a byproduct of the fact that they're like, it, it uses it maybe slightly as a crutch early on to get started and ex- kind of explain the scenario. Yeah, I, kind of, I will... kind of the whole the whole early days in the 50s felt like it was all just sure. narration. Yeah. I, I, I kind of wanted a little bit more character that's interaction a, there to like, get criticism. into it. Yeah. yeah. I, I think and it I, pays off, and I think it pays off once you get into the. Yeah, once once you get into it, I, I agree with everything yeah. you said. Yeah, and yeah, I agree. I think I mean I know that um like what Blade the original Blade Runner came out in 1982, and that movie was lampooned awful, but be, because of the voiceover so much so that eventually um Ridley Scott removed it. Right, the final cut, um, the final yeah, cut, awful, right, right. awful voiceover. I've seen that version. Terrible. And and I I admittedly haven't. I just know that that was part of the history of that film. And I will say, like, I I thought it was interesting that they actually included uh, Henry Hill's wife in the voiceover. Like, she has moments where she's speaking over the, the scenes That was as the well. one part where I got nervous the first time I saw it. Was when, <laughs> I was, it, felt, it felt a little like cheating to have her also do voiceover. And it, it felt a little <laughs> bit, like, Disney-ish. Mm-hmm. But other than and, that, and, and, it but was I, still and, good, though. Yeah, it, it was good. And I think it also kind of adds to the reading of the, the film. If you think of it as it's the two of them recounting the, their kind of life story and saying like, okay, like they're telling their story. If they're voicing over, they're both going into witness protection together um, yeah. in, a, in a way, I think, which I think is interesting. And that thought kind of just crossed my mind um, as we were discussing the voiceover itself. Um, I, I'll, I'll take, take us on a tangent. Um, the moment in the end that, in that kind of panic cocaine sequence um, I'm sure you guys noticed the part where the 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 blonde woman that Henry Hill's dealing with, who's like going to Pittsburgh. I babysitter I don't. Something I, I don't. I yeah. never like understood what who like who it was exactly like a sister she was. or something. I don't know. It was, um, it was. She was like a. I think she was like the babysitter. Okay, but yeah. but she pulls out. He's like, oh, do you have your your ticket or whatever? And she pulls it out, and there's like a black bar that's tracked over the the ticket. Did you guys notice that? Yeah, no. that was. Uh, I did notice that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was reading about that cause I'm like, that's, that was like weird. Cause I was like, that can't, I, I, I can't imagine that was like an intentional thing where Scorsese is like, Oh, we're going to include this thing here to add it. Cause it just felt very out of place. And I was reading about it. And apparently it was, that was the airline ticket that she was supposed to take to Pittsburgh. And it was an American airline ticket. And they, they just filmed the scene and it said American airlines, like very clearly. And when they tried to clear it with American oh, after the, they said no you can't do that because it's like <laughs> oh, you're associating amazing. us with drug trafficking huh. and so they they literally just slapped a black bar over it and called it good i thought <laughs> it was cool because i thought it had the feel of like you know because they're getting into the point where like the fbi is watching them and stuff now mm-hmm. so it had that kind of feel of like something that was redacted you know what i'm saying yeah yeah but, but then that was like the was only so out thing of place. Like, true yeah. true but it yeah. felt I, I it felt i mean i think like Scorsese does those sort of things where he kind of does this like this meta kind of stuff with mm-hmm. playing with the the form in that way. So it didn't feel so out of place to me. But that, that's a just that's a cool story though. Yeah, um, I think I mean I think that's about all I I have <laughs> regarding There's... this. And we have, we've said a lot, right? 
Yeah, there's one other moment I wanted to call out unless you had yeah. something, Bryce. No, go for it. Well, there, there's one other moment that I, I liked in this movie, which is that um, the moment where, you know, there's that whole, uh, they go to like some kind of like beach club place. Uh, Ray Liotta and, and uh, his, his character of his wife go. Mm-hmm. And they, they, there's that, that, that derpy looking guy that, that comes up and says hi to her, right? Uh-huh. And then later she's in the phone booth crying. And Ray Liotta pulls up in the car and he's like, what's what happened? And she's like, oh, he he, oh, he started oh, hitting her neighbor, her, her, her neighbor, neighbor yeah, the guy from across the street. Right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I love the sequence after that where they pull up and she's got the sunglasses on and he, he he asks her, are you OK? Right. And then he gets out of the car and he there's that that I think beautiful shot where he just walks across the street and it's just silent and it's like suburbia. Yeah. Right. And you yeah. just hear his shoes just tapping on the ground. And he's he's he tucks the gun to his belt and he walks like you know he's about to just bust this guy's head open right and he yeah. just goes there and it's just one shot and he just he just pistol whips the guy mm-hmm. right in front of his his like his, his buddies who are yeah. like waxing that car or whatever right yeah I, I mean like and that scene like is is intended and again this is might be one of those and, and, and then they hide hit. the gun in, in her mom's right <laughs> right but that scene is intended to be like you know this it's just juxtaposing like okay like this savage violence that these guys are capable of yeah. you know what i'm saying and the yeah. way that it was shot where you just have this wide shot you can see the house and the nice bushes and everything and the driveway it's just like this picturesque suburbs but then he's just pistol whipping this guy you know mm-hmm. i the the cinematographer uh, michael ballhaus he actually said in an interview he said that was the, the the most violent thing he's ever shot in his career and you know, he's a storied cinematographer so i wow. I, I thought that that like i thought that like the savagery the way that 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 scene was shot like not like you know i think a lot of uh movies now something like that they would like be like all up close and the camera would be shaking like crazy and you'd barely able to see anything the way fight scenes are shot now you know mm-hmm. i think just setting the camera you know away from the scene taking this wide angle so you can see everything and he he's just pistol whipping the guy i thought that was so effective at like showing how you know ray Liotta's character had like really come into this um, yeah, I think that's one of the first scenes lifestyle. you see Ray Liotta do like a super violent yeah. action as well. Yeah. Okay, Bryce, do you have any concluding thoughts before we get into our letterbox scores for this? I think I think it's time for the scores. Yeah. Okay. Well, Chris, why don't why don't you start us out? I think we know what what you're gonna give this. I mean, Good Goodfellas is is one of the defining masterpieces of cinema. I mean, this is essential viewing for anyone who is even passively interested in good movies which we of course are here on essential viewing so i mean this movie i mean and, and the american film institute agrees with me on this one this this movie is it, is isn't a mass- also in the american oh, film yeah, institute? it's a masterpiece <laughs> this, this this movie is a masterpiece this movie this movie showcases just like world-class directing acting editing cinematography even the casting is amazing you know i think you know, just not to go back into the bulk of the episode, but I think the casting of Ray Liotta in that main role, who was an unknown actor at the time, and casting him in that role where he kind of feels a little bit out of place alongside mm-hmm. Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci, I think that was like excellent casting. And it, you kind of feel the tension that he doesn't necessarily feel like completely natural in that environment. So then it, yeah. it makes sense at the end when he rats on these guys because he never really felt like he completely fit in anyways, right? Yeah. But anyways, I think every dimension of this movie is so well thought out, you know, Scorsese is a meticulous planner. He 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 uh, he draws all of his shots 
in a notebook and like so when they come to shoot like he just pulls out his notebook and he's he's hand drawn every shot so they just shoot the movie you know and you can see the the level of attention to detail this is a movie unlike anything else for me except for the movie casino which we're gonna watch on this <laughs> podcast and we're gonna have the same <laughs> argument again I, I, I'm okay <laughs> but but a couple of, a couple of our last gets into our picks before then, but yeah, we'll we'll get around to it. We'll get around to it. We'll, we'll have to start retitling the episodes Essential Viewing Smackdown. Yeah. <laughs> we'll watch the scene. But anyways, I've taken a really long time to say that this is a five star movie. Oh, up. Wow. One, first, two, the first five three, that's star the first one. four, five stars. Take all five and put them in your shine box, people. It's a perfect movie. <laughs> and now let's hear from uh for you guys for your uh... yeah I'll, I'll go next i'll say um i think kind of what i was i I'm, i feel like i appreciate the movie a bit more now that we've talked about it and um discussed it some but i feel like i would have just contextually i feel like i would have rated it a lot higher enough i would have watched it back in the day and it had been less desensitized to all of the <laughs> violence and and drugs and everything um i feel like the movie would have been a bit better if we would have kind of got a movie that just had robert de niro movie that just had Ray Liotta, a movie that just had Joe Pesci, then they could have brought them all together, you know? For the good fellas. The gang ventures. Oh, it would have been like a really cool, you know, each one is a $200 million dollar box oh, office. We would have like seen maybe like Witch a trilogy Creed. of movies from each of these guys, then we could have oh. brought them together to, to pull off the ultimate oh. heist. I'm going to get a bucket real quick. I, I think I'm feeling <laughs> a little sick here. <laughs> I, think, I think the movie would have been a lot better if it would have been like that. Um, but anyways like, i did i did i did enjoy watching the movie um i i think we mentioned a lot of this thing that i really liked especially you know the the third act as everything kind of starts to fall apart is, is meticulously crafted and, and i mean the movie is well acted and well written throughout like i mean everything is looking really great in this film i just think thematically it didn't engage me and um tie together as well as i'd I'd like and like a lot of other things I've seen. So I'm going to say um, three and a half stars. Yep. And and Bryce, I, I don't want to just, uh, you know, echo everything you said, but I, you pretty much summed it up perfectly. I also gave it three and a half stars on Letterboxd. Oh, the death blow to Chris <laughs> has fallen. Can, can I get some of that Hennessy you got to drink in over there? <laughs> I, had, I did have a little bit of cutty and water before yeah. I started, started the podcast. Y'all got to pour me one. <laughs> <laughs> but... I guess um, that uh, you know that wraps up our our enthralling discussion of Goodfellas. I think this was probably our most animated and exciting episode yet. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Don't I, I, I throw... podcast people. No, it's good. You're a little podcast. you're a little loose. You never know what's gonna happen when you have. This is like, what happens. Cutty and water thrown, uh, flowing through your veins. Um, well, thank you guys very much for listening uh, this week. Uh, next week we'll be watch. We'll be going back to our live format, and we're going to be watching the card counter written and directed by Paul Schrader. This is his most recent release um, after First Reformed. I don't think he's released anything since. And it's a film that stars Oscar Isaac as an ex-military interrogator turned gambler who's haunted by the ghosts of his past decisions. So I'm I'm excited to see this. I've been uh, kind of building out my my uh, history with Paul Schrader recently. And so I'm excited to see what his, his newest take is. Um, and so, uh, yeah, if you guys don't have anything else to say, I think we'll sign off here. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been another episode of Central Viewing. I'm Christian Cuevas. I'm Cole Bielan. And I'm Bryce Kramer. And we will see you next time.
You guys are breaking my balls over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just so sad. I was oh, just no. So sad. 